notice that uh, uh, we read from verses 1 down through to verse 12, though I wanted it read to put the verses we are looking at, 13 to 16, in the, the context of what Jesus had been talking about. We're going to be primarily concentrating on verses 13 to 16. Uh, earlier in the year, in June and July, I had a, the opportunity of doing a couple of going deeper sessions at Hillview, and I took the subject of the Beatitudes um, on that occasion, on those occasions. Um, I touched very briefly on verses 13 to 16, but my prime uh, aim then was to go through in a bit of depth the Beatitudes as we have them recorded in verses 3 to 12. But this morning I want us to think a little bit in depth about Uh, Verses 13 to 16, what Jesus has to say about being salt and light. They also seem quite appropriate in a way. This is inevitably, uh, I always think there are two new years in a year. There's the January new year and then there's this new year. I'm sure all of us think like that. This is the new academic year just beginning. And it seemed quite appropriate to root ourselves afresh in, in these ancient truths that Jesus speaks about as we think about new seasons, new opportunities, even today, a new opportunity for you, uh, as many of you will be involved in the GL4 show happening later in the day. Just to remind ourselves again and, and recommit ourselves and get rooted afresh in the truths of what Jesus is speaking about here, as, but uh, salt and light Not least because that's what we're called to be, of course, in the world in which we live. Wherever we are, we are called to be what Jesus speaks about here as being salt and light. And the Beatitudes, indeed, in many ways, the whole of the Sermon on the Mount, as the first uh, chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew are commonly called the Sermon on the Mount, they're about the people of God as who we are and the kind of people that we ought to be in our day-to-day living. And with the Beatitudes in particular, to speak about the people that we are. If you run through them, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek. I'll skip verse 6, come back to that. Blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are those who are persecuted. Jesus says, that's the kind of people that you are, and you are blessed when you are those kind of people. I deliberately skip verse 6 because that's the only one, it seems to me, that actually has an action on our part. The rest of the Beatitudes are statements about who people are. But actually verse 6 is uh, what actually requires something for us to do. We are called to hunger and thirst after God, after righteousness. And there's a an action in that, and a wonderful promise that we will be filled. And then Jesus goes on to speak about being the salt and the light in this world. Francis of Assisi once said, Preach the gospel by all means, and if necessary, use words. Preach the gospel by all means, and if necessary, use words. Jesus, when he began to say this, according to the message paraphrase, Verse 13 says, let me tell you why you are here. It's what he's saying to his disciples. This is what it's all about. Because the Christian message has always been about not only the words that we speak, but the lives that we live, the things that we do. When Paul wrote to Titus, chapter 3, verses 1 and 8, he 
says this, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. And he gets that from these words of Jesus and many others, that we are to be a people who do good things, who are salt and light in the world. And it's interesting to note that Jesus doesn't say if you are salt or when you become light. It's a statement that is already true. If we know and love Jesus, if we are Christian people, his disciples, as he was addressing here, we are already salt. We are already light. That's the way he's made us. But what kind of effect do we have when we are salt and light? That's the difference Jesus has made in us, but what difference do we make in the world around us? And um, there are positives and negatives uh, in both these statements of Jesus. And I want us to think in that way a little bit this morning. So when we read verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. And it seems that the thrust of the text here, at least according to Martin Lloyd-Jones, is that Jesus is saying, almost pointing a finger at the disciples, saying, you and you alone are the salt of the earth. Just you, you guys. And as a consequence, all, of course, who follow him. And salt has two primary uses, doesn't it? First of all, it's a, well, first of all, but one of them is that it's a flavoring. Um, many years ago, our youngest daughter is 29 now, but when she was quite little, I think probably in the first year or so of infant school, uh, she was determined to get her mum and dad to stop cooking with salt because she had discovered in school that salt was not really very good for you. So she pleaded with us. And because we're softies, we listened to her. No, but we did listen to her because we read about it and thought, oh, yeah, she's right, you know. So for the last, mm, I don't know how many years, 25 years at least, we have not cooked with salt. Um, if you ever come to us for a meal, you may or may not notice that, but we don't cook with salt. In fact, we don't put salt on anything. There's plenty of salt in food as it is. But um, we don't put salt on anything. But I have to tell you, that on the odd occasion when we have a fish and chip shop meal and the lady in the shop says, would you like salt and vinegar? I say, yes, please. <laughs> and there's something rather nice about salt and vinegar, especially on freshly cooked chips and fish or whatever it is you have with it. It's really nice. It adds a, a distinct flavoring and salt does that, of course. Not to say that no, you shouldn't ever have salt, but we have restricted it fairly significantly. Salt adds a lot of flavor adds a lot of flavor. But of course, it's also something that's used as a preservative, especially in Old Testament and New Testament times, and in many parts of the world today. They rub salt into meat and other fresh foods to keep them from going off, from putrefying. So it's a preservative as well as a flavoring. And that's, if you like, the, the negative side of it. And both those elements, the kind of flavoring and the, uh, the um, uh, what's the word I was looking for? The preservative uh, is sure to be true for you and me today. 
as we go about our living day by day, I wonder, do we bring, almost invisibly, the positive flavoring of the beauty of Jesus in the kind of people that we are? Is that what people see in us? Do they see people who are good people? Not just because we're good, but do they see that in us? The good flavor that we bring about in our relationships, the people we work with, that we live with, that we go to school or college with, do they sense something of the goodness, the wholesomeness, the loveliness of Jesus as we go about our lives day by day? Is that what they sense? Do they have that sense of positive feeling when they meet us, when they talk to us? Do they speak well of us? Something of the beauty of Jesus, the flavoring that being salt brings. But there is that sense too in which salt being a preservative is seen in a, almost in a negative way, if I can put it that way, by having an impact on the morals of those around us. Almost like being a, uh, like moral disinfectant, making a difference in that way. When um, John Stott was writing a commentary on Romans, and when he was referring to the verses in chapter 118 to 32, when um, God is condemning mankind and the fact that man is a sinful being, John Stott wrote this, When men reject what, uh, what they know of God, God gives them up to their own distorted notions and perverted passions until society stinks in the nostrils of God and all good people. And we live in a world which, in lots and lots of ways, stinks, doesn't it? <laughs> there are some very difficult things that we live with in our world. Some of the people that we live with, some of their morals are anything but what we would want them to be. And I guess that we can do one of two things. We can either just throw up our hands in horror and say, oh, whoa, this is terrible, this is terrible, and kind of just sit there doing nothing very much. Or we can do something about it. We can make a positive difference. We can be that moral disinfectant in the world. I've been reading a couple of articles recently, some, uh, some uh, tricky-to-understand things about bioethics and sexual morality in our world today. Some of them are quite hard-hitting about how we respond as Christian people in those circumstances, how we understand what's going on in the world around us. And it's not easy. And of course, the big challenge that um, Jesus refers to in the second bit of verse 13, if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? The big challenge is how we stay walking with God so that we can be salt, so that we can be light, so that we can make both a positive and a negative difference in the world in which we live. So I wonder what kind of flavoring we are, what kind of preservative we are in the world that we live in today. And then Jesus speaks about being light of the world and the same kind of emphasis here as it was with salt the form of the text suggests you and you alone are the light of the world 
It's nobody else. We can't look to other people. This is something that's distinctively Christian of Christ that we are called to be in the world in which we live. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote this. This is one of the most astounding and extraordinary statements about the Christian that was ever made. You, said our Lord, looking out upon those simple people, those entirely unimportant people from the standpoint of the world, people like you, people like me. He said, you are the light of the world. It's one of those statements, says Martin Lloyd-Jones, which should always have the effect upon us of making us lift our heads, causing us to realize once more what a remarkable and glorious thing it is to be a Christian amazing. He's called us to make a difference in the world by the way that we live our lives. Of course, we can only be light because Jesus himself is light. John 8 verse 12 tells us that Jesus said of himself, I am the light of the world and we can only be light because he is light. And it's as we abide in him, as we live in him day by day, that we too can be light in the world in which we live. We'll think about that a little bit more later as we think about how it is we can be the salt and light that he calls us to be. Again, there are negative and positive aspects in the subject of light, where he says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Negatively, light exposes darkness. It exposes darkness. Christians are called to do this in a whole variety of ways. William Wilberforce and his colleagues 200 plus years ago did so in a very public way. Still today, there are very public figures who are standing up for Jesus, making a difference, exposing the darkness of the world in which we live. Some of the things that we read about in our newspapers or Look at on the news, read on our iPads and iPhones and whatever other electronic equipment we have. I don't know about you, but sometimes I think, where is this world going? Well, of course, I know the answer, but you, know, you, you ask that. You think, this is awful. Some of the stuff that's going on in our world. I was reading uh, uh, articles recently about some of the atrocities in Syria, some more in-depth articles, not just the kind of headline stuff you get in newspapers, but some of the more. And it's appalling what is happening to people. And I don't know about you, but I sometimes think, I, I don't know what difference I can make, but then I remind myself that in the little bit of world in which I live, I make a difference if I'm living as Jesus wants me to live. So... Some like William Wilberforce and others do so in very public ways. But you and I make a difference where we live with the people that we meet day by day. I think it calls for a certain amount of spiritual courage, if I'm honest, to make a difference. Exposing the darkness. To say to someone, someone in your family, someone who lives next door to you, someone in your workplace, if they're doing something, living the kind of life that isn't right, to say, I'm not sure that that's a good thing that you're doing. That's actually quite a hard thing to do, I think. 
I think it's quite hard sometimes even to write to government and say, you know, you got it wrong, guys. <laughs> but we're called to do that sometimes. Of course, we have to do it carefully. We have to do it wisely. We have to do it with a lot of grace and love and understanding. But nevertheless, we're called to do that, to make the difference. Early in the 1970s, the Festival of Light began. Anybody remember the Festival of Light? A few nods, yeah. It eventually became CARE, Christian Action Research and Education, but it began as the Festival of Light when sufficient numbers of Christians said enough is enough. It was at the time of the Abortion Act and many other things that were happening in our nation, and they took upon themselves to march in front of Parliament and stand up for light, for being different. And it's, uh, you, many of you will know the work of care, which has grown over the years in its effectiveness as well. But it began when Christian people said, enough is enough. Somebody once said, didn't they? Um, I think it's been attributed to a number of different people, so I won't name any of them. But um, all it takes... For triumph to evil, for evil to triumph rather, is for good men to do nothing. And uh, we're called to expose the darkness. But not only that, we're called to illuminate the darkness. That's the positive element of it. Christians are called to show the way to God and the way of God by our manner of life. And I wonder whether in a world that's spiritually dark, amongst people who are spiritually dead? Do we make a positive difference by our deeds as well as by our words? I wonder if people really hear us. Do they hear us? Come back to that in a moment. When I worked for FADS uh, some years ago in secular employment, um, I... um, Ended up in a middle management kind of position, so I ended up in meetings of various sorts all over the place. And um, I distinctly remember being in a meeting once when the managing director of the company was addressing the, uh, the people who were there, mainly men. It was a very male-dominated business in those days. But there were, there were one or two women in senior positions, and um, they were in the meeting as well. And um, at one point, he swore quite badly. Now, it was not uncommon for him to swear, but he didn't often swear in a meeting when he was addressing people. But he got very animated at one point and, and, and swore quite badly. And he apologized, uh, but not to the women. He apologized to me. He specifically mentioned my name. Oh, sorry, Tim. Didn't mean to say that. Interesting, isn't it? Because the, the, the kind of culture of the day was that the women would have been the ones offended, and indeed he shouldn't have used the words at all, but it was me. Why? Because, I hope, he saw something of Jesus in me. I was endeavoring to make a difference where I was working. And sometimes we have to work really hard in order for people to listen to us and being the kind of people that are worth listening to. The kind of people that are worth listening to. Of course, when St. Francis said what he did, that I quoted earlier, preach the gospel by all means, and if necessary, use words. At some point, we have to use words. (laughs) 
at some point we need to tell people about Jesus. We need to be able to use words. That's really important. But in order to get to the point where we earn the right to speak, it has to be because our lives reflect him. My words need to be simply reflecting the kind of person that I am. You know, sometimes I think we so much want to tell people about Jesus. At least, um, I wish it were more true of me than it is, but we do want to tell people about Jesus. We get passionate about telling people about Jesus. We want to tell, tell people about Jesus, and that's a really good thing. wish that it was more true of me than it is. But sometimes people are crying out to see Jesus. This afternoon, you've got a stand at GL4. And at some point, we pray that there will be some significant conversations that take place at that stand and around the show. But that only happens if they see the difference in you. The conversations you have with your neighbor, with your family, with your work colleagues, with your school friends, with your um, friends at college or university, only happen when they begin to see something of the difference that Jesus makes. Martin Lloyd-Jones again says, we are something before we begin to act as something. We are salt, we are light, then we begin to act as salt and light, and then we get an opportunity to speak as salt and light. If we blunder in with words and our lives don't match our words, they will laugh at us and ridicule us and it will mean nothing whatsoever. So yeah, it's great to tell people about Jesus. And we should. But we need to speak of Jesus by the lives that we live as well. The message paraphrase of these verses we're drawing to a close now the message paraphrase of these verses says this let me tell you why you're here you're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the god flavors of this earth if you lose your saltiness how will people taste godliness if you lose your saltiness how will people taste godliness you've lost your usefulness and we'll end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. So how will people taste godliness if we're not being salty? And how do we retain our saltiness? Well, it's actually incredibly simple. It always has been and always will be. It's this. Stay in touch with Jesus. It really is that simple. 
Because it's not my work. It's not your work. It's his work. We need to read this book, the Bible, regularly, every day if we can. We need to be constant in prayer, and I don't just mean a few minutes of a morning. I mean living a life that is in touch with him. It means allowing him to abide in us, and us abide in him. There's nothing new about it, never has been, never will be. The secret to making a difference for Jesus is to live in Jesus and let him live in you fully. And that happens as we fellowship with God's people, as we read God's word, as we pray, as we allow the Holy Spirit to live in us. Folks, it's not difficult. (laughs) It really isn't. The Christian life is not for the faint-hearted, but it is, if I may put it this way, for the (laughs) simple-hearted. It's for the people who simply say, Yes, Lord. I want more of you, Lord. And I do that as I read your word. I do that as I pray. I do that as I fellowship with your people. That's when we make a difference. In uh, John chapter 15, Jesus said, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And then he says something that I think is quite astounding. And flies in the face and goes against the grain for us. Particularly those of us who like to be in charge. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Zippo. Note. Not even a little bit. If we're going to make a difference for Jesus, it's only as we abide in him and he, as a consequence, abides in us. By his spirit, he comes in to live in us when we ask him to be our savior and he lives in us. And we live in him. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And I find that a challenge because I'm an activist, I'm a doer, I'm an organizer. People who know me know know that very well. Sometimes to my cost, sometimes to other people's cost. (laughs) That's how I am. So when Jesus says, you know, apart from me, you, Tim Lewis, can do nothing whatsoever that has any lasting significance unless you do it in my strength, in the power of my spirit, Abiding in me. That's actually quite a big blow to my fragile ego. But I need to let it hit home. And we might, all of us, need to let it hit home in us. We can do nothing unless we abide in him. Unless Jesus does the work in us and through us. The care strap line, as we conclude, is making a Christian difference. I wonder whether, as you go to the GL4 show later today, as you go about your day tomorrow, will you make a difference? Will you be salt and light? Will I be salt and light? If we are, it will be for God's glory, Jesus says. 
Verse 16, in the same way let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven or glorify your Father in heaven. Surely that's our desire, isn't it? To glorify our Father. We do that as we allow him to make a difference in us. Let's pray and then we'll continue in our worship together. Father, these words of Jesus speak into our hearts and into our minds. We pray in a fresh way today. For many of us, they are truths that we know. But we want, Lord, to be people who live in the light of those truths, to make a difference by the lives that we live. Father, will you help us to be salt and light Will you help us to bring good flavors? Will you help us to be good preservative? Will you help us, we pray, as we expose the darkness of the world around us? And as by your Spirit we illuminate the darkness of the world around us. Father, these, for many of us, maybe all of us, are not new truths. But we pray that you will write the truth of them deep in our hearts and minds. And as we begin a new academic year with all of the promise, all of the opportunity that New Year brings, we pray that you will help us by the power of your Spirit to live more closely with you to be people who read your words, who pray, who fellowship, who allow your spirit to live in us. Forgive us when we think we can do something for you without you. Help us, we pray, to do things for you in the power of your spirit, abiding in you as you live in us. Thank you, Father, for your grace and your kindness. Make a difference through us, we pray, and be glorified this week. In Jesus' name, amen.